of hardbound books at club cost. If you're interested in one, you're new and would like one, we can get one for you. Don't have the money for it, that's fine. We will make sure you leave here with one, okay? Just let me know after the meeting. We also have softbound literature, uh, free for the taking. We have some um, directories. You ever need to hit a meeting in, in the area around here, always good reads. If you're interested in one, let me know. And thank you guys for letting me be of service. All right, Nick. So I'm an alcoholic. My name's Chris. Hi, Chris. I've been sober since June 5th of uh, 2017. I'm grateful for that. Uh, I'm grateful I got to come down here with my sponsor. Uh, today is always a, a pleasure to get to go down the road with my sponsor. Um, he's helped me out a lot, and so I, any way I can support, uh, I try to do that, and it's good. Uh, we uh, we were we jumped on the freeway, and it was a little bit of traffic, but it's good. We got to talk about some stuff, and that's always good. And, you know, getting sober was, uh, uh, you know, in the beginning, I, I really didn't know what alcoholism was. Um, I started drinking when I was in high school, and my dad, he caught me drinking. And so at that time, his solution was we would sit down every night and we would watch that show, Intervention. Have you ever seen that, that show? And my dad would, uh, he'd nudge me and go, if you keep drinking, that's that's what's going to happen to you. You're going to become homeless, and you're going to become a bum, and your life is going to be ruined. And I was like 15 years old at the time, thinking like, dude, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm nothing like those guys, right? I'd watch that show and just think, I just like to, I just like to drink. Um, ever since my first drink, it it made me feel good, and I've chased it ever since. And um, that's all that's ever really mattered to me is I just like to feel good. And so by the time I was uh, 21, I went to my first AA meeting. And it wasn't my idea to go to an AA meeting. Uh, the people in my life said, you should go to an AA meeting. And uh, I didn't know what to expect, so I ended up, I went with a friend of mine who uh, got sober for eight months. They got sober, and so they said, hey, you can come to me to one of these AA meetings and maybe they can help you. And so I ended up going to a meeting with them and uh, I remember I got there and everyone was holding hands and praying and super nice they, they were asking me questions like hey do you have a sponsor have you started working the steps and i was like i don't know what any of that is i have no idea what you guys are talking about and it scared the crap out of me and i ended up just deciding that i was just going to stop drinking like i understand that drinking is bad for me so i'm just going to stop doing it and so my next solution was to move to north dakota because i figured hey once i live in north dakota i'll be away from all the people that i know who drink I'll be away from all the outside issues. I'll get a really good job, and uh, I'll just I'll be able to solve all my problems by making a lot of money and and figuring things out on my own. And so, about a week living out in North Dakota, I was drinking in a bar, and I made all the right friends, and I knew exactly where to find what I wanted to find. And so it didn't take me long. I just have a natural radar for getting loaded, and uh, so I, I started going to meetings while I was out in North Dakota, and. Um, I never got a sponsor. I never worked the steps. I didn't get a home group. I just started going to these meetings because I, I recognized that there was a, a place I could go where I could find sober people. And, but I never really thought I had alcoholism. I didn't understand what alcoholism was, but I do have moments when I was out there where alone in my apartment with the weight of the world sitting on my chest, drinking by myself, uh, in my gut feeling like there isn't something right with how I'm drinking. There's something not right with what I'm doing here um, But I don't know what that is and so but I so I just usually try to drink through it and uh, Try to drink to oblivion as much as I possibly could just to turn it off Just to shut off like that nagging feeling that there's something wrong with me at all, all Always there's always something uncomfortable with me going on at all times and it's just like But I uh, just take a drink shut it off and and just keep moving on and um you know, by the time I was 23 years old, I couldn't take care of myself anymore. I ended up having to call my dad, and I asked him, if I could just stay on your couch for a week, I'll stop drinking, I'll get sober, I'll get a job, I'll get my life back together. And so my dad said, okay. And so I moved to Orange County, where my dad uh, was living. And so I moved down there, and of course, within a week, I was drunk again, and uh, just nothing was changing. And so... 
through a series of circumstances, I was sitting in a bar and I was arguing with a bartender about how to stay sober. I was like, there's this thing called AA, and if you go, there's, there's you know, blah, 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 blah. And I, I started telling him all my sob stories about how I've tried to get sober forever. And he said the most soul-crushing thing he possibly could have told me. He said, I don't know, man, why don't you just, like, go to AA or something? And it was like, dude, screw you, dude. Like, if you had any idea, but... For whatever reason, I, I took out my phone, I Googled AA meetings, and I found one that was going to be happening the, um, the next night. And so I, I decided, I don't know why I was going to go to this meeting, because I knew within my gut nothing was going to happen. I've already tried AA, but I had nowhere else to go. There was nowhere else to turn. And so I ended up just deciding to go. And uh, when I showed up there, I sat in the back. I didn't talk to anyone, and there was one guy. Well, there was two guys. Uh, <laughs> There's two guys in that meeting who said hello to me, and one of them happened to be my sponsor. And uh, I'm so grateful he didn't try to baffle me with any um, profundities or um, try to convince me of the entire program, like I try to do where I, I try to sit down with somebody and explain the entire program to them within a five-minute increment. Doesn't seem to work. Didn't work for me. All he had said was, um, you know, here's my card, and it had his name, and it had a the thing called dog on the roof on the bottom. And I asked him, I was like, what's that? And he's like, that's my home group. And so uh, I ended up calling him the next day. And, um, you know, I didn't know anything about him other than the fact that he said that he would take me to meetings if I wanted to go to meetings. And so I started going to meetings with him every single day. And uh, we started working the steps together. And I'm so grateful that I've been able to stay sober for six years now uh, because of the program. Uh, it's been pretty simple. He brought me over to my home group, uh, the Dog on the Roof in Anaheim, and those guys have literally saved my life. I mean, it's taken an entire village to help. I've been I've been pretty crazy a lot of the times. I've been insane. I've I've created a lot of my own problems, and um, I've been, <laughs> but I've been able to not pick up a drink. And uh, those guys have stood by me, and my sponsors stood by me. And uh, today, my entire life, everyone in my life knows that I'm an AA, and. Uh, that my entire life is surrounded by the fact that my sobriety has to come first. And uh, my, my home group has taught me it's about uh, sponsorship, working the steps, helping others. And uh, it's that simple, really. I try to do that every day, and, and I've gotten a lot of help. And uh, I'm really grateful for that. So if you're new in here, uh, it's pretty simple. Uh, I got a sponsor. I worked the steps. I got a home group, and it, it gave me a connection to something out there. I don't know what it is, but there's something out there watching out for me. And uh, I'm super grateful for it. So that's all I got. Thanks. All right. So I would like to now introduce our leader, Ruben. I'm an alcoholic. My name is Ruben. Ruben. Most important thing I can share is I've been clean and sober since April the 2nd, 1985. For that, I'm grateful. Um, I want to thank everybody that's responsible for me being here tonight. It's a privilege to be here. Thank Chris for coming with me. Um, you know, I arrived here. I thought there might be like three or four people in the park uh, eating some stale donuts and uh, some lukewarm coffee. And we pulled up and um, you could feel recovery in the park. You know, you could see it and you could see the workers and the, and the people that were getting this thing done and and uh, watching people bring the homemade food, you know, um, it touched my heart because you don't see that a lot in Alcoholics Anonymous. You see it in my home group, just don't see that a lot uh, of just people grateful for being sober and they don't need to say a lot, it's their actions speak louder than their words, you know? And there's a really welcoming environment here. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, because I've never forgotten what it was like when I was new when I was in and out. Uh, welcome to the newcomers, the people that are here for the first time. Those of you slipping and sliding, and those of you having problems in recovery, I've been all three, you know. Um, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. I uh, hope you find what you're looking for, I have. And I didn't know what I was looking for when I got here, but I found it, you know. And uh, um, a lot of times you hear people after they come to recovery, that they start putting words and trying to explain uh, why they drank and, and uh, why they picked up that first drink and um, you know the, their skin was too tight it was too loose it was the wrong color they were born in the wrong century on the wrong planet 
the wrong family, right? Uh, they never got the instructions to life. All those things that you learn um, after you come here. Uh, I, was, I grew up on the west side of LA, Venice, Santa Monica, and I was at a party and there was two punch bowls. There was the kitty punch bowl, and then there was the happy punch bowl. You know, the one where they were putting the spinata wine in it. And uh, I saw the people that were partaking of that one punch bowl that seemed to have a little bit of a smile on their face. I don't know, I was like five or six years old, and I went over there and I got myself a cup of that, and I took a drink and it went boom. I loved the effect of alcohol. So I wasn't looking to escape anything. I just took a drink and uh, the magic happened. I believe at that moment an alcoholic was born because from that moment forward, I was just always seeking that ease and comfort of that first drink. I wanted another drink. And there was a lot of people um, that as my alcoholism was there, uh, I was irritable, restless, and discontent. You know, And they tried to uh, address my irritability uh, and all they needed was to just give me another drink, you know? And uh, so I wasn't drunk from the time I was five uh, until I got here in Alcoholics Anonymous, but I tried my best. You know, I remember my, at my first communion going up there and uh, as they were serving the wine, I reached up with my two little hands and I grabbed that goblet, that chalice of wine, and I remember trying to suck down as much as I could. And, and the priest like tugging it away from me and, and then going to sit down and see if I could get a little bit of a feel and a buzz off of it. And then I felt guilty for trying to get drunk on the blood of Christ, you know, and uh, there was just like, I never took a normal drink. Uh, I don't know what it's like to ever take a social drink. Anytime I drank, I drank for one reason and one reason only, and it was to get loaded. And there was somebody that said something to me one time, that if you were sincere in your prayers, that God would grant you what you wish. Now, that's what I heard, right? Um, probably not what they said, but that's what I heard, was if you truly believe. So I remember one Christmas I prayed, Sincerely that I wanted a, a brand new pair of Vans a Pair of Levi's and Schwinn had just come out with their brand new BMX bike. It was a chrome molly one And I was very specific. I wanted the blue alloy rims and uh, And that Christmas I got a pair of Keds Tough skins and an orange huffy and I was pissed at God and I remember when he was like, why are you angry? You got what you asked for shoes jeans and a bicycle, you know, but nothing that was ever the right size the right color um, I mean, before I forget, if, if love could keep me sober, uh, if growing up in an environment that had uh, good examples, I had bad examples, but good examples, um, uh, I had everything I needed, not everything I wanted, I wouldn't need to be an Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Um, I, there was drunks in my family, because like I said, in Venice, I remember one Sunday morning, uh, my dad woke us all up, him and all his friends, they ran restaurants, and they were all still dressed from the night before, and they had got an argument about who was the fastest. And so we down to Venice High School Sunday morning, these guys are wearing like patent leather white shoes, you know, they're all dressed 70s with the big uh, angel flight uh, collars and all that stuff. And they're all trying to have this race and nobody made it past the first turn and before they all collapsed, you know, but there was just things like that that were once in a while. Anyways, um, it was the early 80s, um, I discovered, uh, punk rock, sex and drugs all in one night. And uh, my life changed 180 degrees. Um, it was instantaneous. And I started drinking and using the way I wanted to, you know, and, and the wheels just came off automatically. There was no casual, like there was no um, breaking in period for me. Um, there was, uh, I would be gone for days, weeks or months at a time. And I've got three kids, 33, 27 and 21. Um, youngest is still living with us and as a parent I have no idea the hell that a family goes to when you don't know where your 13 14 15 16 year old kid is for days weeks or months at a time but that was me and at the time I would have told you that I was uh, breaking away from an oppressive environment they were jealous of my rock and roll lifestyle right and uh, if they could just get away with doing what I was doing because my life was technicolor right and they were just existing Right. If you didn't drink like I drank, it was just it just seemed like you just existed. I had no concept of what it was like not to live like that. Right. And, um, you know, these people were wanted to crush my soul and they wanted to uh, uh, mold me and, and make me a clone. Right. That's how what I would tell people. In reality, after I got sober, I realized that uh, I was just following the drink wherever it went, you know, and um, so 
I just get on ventures. I, I came out of a blackout. I had started in Long Beach and I came to Norco, right? I know Norco is not that far, but when you grew up in Santa Monica, Venice, it's, I thought I was in Oklahoma. Uh, back then it wasn't as built up as it is right now with the sports ranches, right? And I come to and I'm like with all these horses and I'm and all this stuff. And, and I was there for like four months, you know? And then I called my parents up and I did the same thing that I always do. Uh, I begged my way back in and I did that negotiation thing that we do. Uh, I learned my lesson. I know what I did wrong. I just need a chance. I want to change. And sometimes I meant it. And other times as the words were coming out of my mouth, I knew it was just a matter of time, you know? I was just getting healthy and then I'd be gone again on another run. Just, just the way it is. But in the midst of all that fun, kind of like what Chris talked about, there was moments of uh, truth and reality of my situation and where I was at and what I was doing that um, the alcohol couldn't cover up the lie, right? And the, there was those moments of truth that would come in. And I, I went to a party in June in somebody's garage and we made it into this party palace and we had these bands showing up. And uh, I came to in December and I was the only one left in that party palace, right? And uh, there was a, a couch they had that slope that happens when you wet it too many times, you know, and uh, it, it was uh, it was that time where it rained like six months in the early 80s, and it was just cold and damp, and I was in there with two weenie dogs, and they both had like these tumors on their stomach, and they're just like dragging their little bellies across, and there's just, um, it's dirty, it's moldy, it's cold, it's wet, it's Christmas morning, and I wake up and I'm by myself, and I'm sick, you know, I'm sick. And uh, the truth and the reality of my situation is sitting on my chest. This isn't the way you're supposed to be living. This is wrong, right? Not because society is telling me it's wrong or because you think it's wrong. I just knew inside myself, this is wrong, you know? And I was selling my soul nickel and dime at a time, sometimes wholesale, but nickel and dime at a time, I would give up things. And I knew that somewhere not far from where I was at, my family was, uh, waking up that morning and there was a hole in their life, right? Because they didn't know where I was at. And uh, somewhere there in, the, in that morning, in a short period of time, I got a hold of something. And as it started to work, I just didn't care anymore. In fact, I thought, I hope they're learning their lesson, right? I hope they're learning their lesson. And uh, and that's just the, what I'm saying. Alcohol allowed me to live the, the lie and believe what I was doing. and. Um, when I was uh, 15, I wasn't an emancipated minor, but I was close to it. My parents had signed some papers allowing me to go live with some people. It's not that they didn't care. They just didn't care, dare to care anymore. They had, done, they had tried too many times, you know, and my dad just, it was like I was going to break him if I did it one more time. Like, if he, if he believed this time, it was going to be different. And uh, so they let me live with these people. And... Uh, uh, I got arrested one night. We was in a car with uh, another guy we borrowed. His dad had just restored this barracuda to like pristine condition. And uh, he left the keys hanging, which was like a mistake. It was like an open invitation that we could borrow the car. And uh, so we went on a beer run and we're coming back and we caused this five car collision. I wasn't driving, but I was in the passenger seat and uh, I got pretty messed up, but we broke this little five-year-old girl's back in the car in front of us. and. You know, I was waiting for these cops to show up because the car was destroyed. I'm out there breaking bottles. Instinctively, I knew, you know, I, I'm out there breaking bottles. And, and before they took me to the hospital, they arrested me. And, um, you know, I, again, I come to in the morning and uh, I'm in this jail cell and I'm 15 and nobody's claiming me. And they're like, this, there's something wrong with this picture. And um, that next day I was given three choices. One was to uh, uh, stay there, uh, go to jail juvenile hall. Uh, I could go to the psych unit. Uh, I'd been to the psych unit a few times. Um, I have special problems. <laughs> the big book talks about it, doctor's opinion. It, it, it talks about five classes. I was sober 30 years before, and I read the big book like 10,000 times before I saw the five classifications, right? And it talks about the sociopath, the manic depressive, and it says we could write a whole uh, chapter about the manic depressive, and the, but they don't. You know, I remember thinking, why didn't they write about that, right? Um, and uh, and then it says, and there the, there is the alcoholic who's normal in every aspect except for alcohol. 
you know, and I'm like, I don't, that's the only one I don't identify with. Um, and, and when I was in that last psych unit, they kicked me out for disrupting the therapeutic community. I had, uh, I had uh, riled up all of my fellow patients and wanted, how, I tried to get them to revolt. And they're like, you have problems, but not like theirs, right? And uh, plus I don't like being locked up. I know there's some people that really enjoy being locked up. I don't, uh, I don't do well. I'm like a caged animal, and um, and then they took me to this drug rehab, and the nice thing was they said it was that I could smoke, and this was a Monday, and they said um, I could go on the next day. I said, well, no, I've got these tickets for Black Flag on Friday, and the counselor said, well, we have these people that work here, and their job is to go support you when you go do those kinds of events, and I said, okay, and so they, they took me in there, and as the doors closed and locked behind me i had a little bit of a thought like maybe they just lied to me right because it was a lockdown facility and uh i am so glad that i got sober before cell phones and before um you know uh the patients had rights you know uh because like they wouldn't let you talk to people when you're in there like you can write a letter and they they said things like you know everybody um i said well they're going to be worried about where i'm at and they're like no they said, in fact, it's probably the first time in years where they don't have to worry and they get to sleep easy. And so like every excuse I had. Anyways, I got loaded twice while I was in that detox. Uh, it's not easy to do that. Um, and if you're getting loaded while you're in a detox, there's an indication you just might have a problem. It's not in the party brochure, right? It's not like, it's not the glamorous thing to do, but I, I managed, right? And, uh, and they were never pretty highs. I did uh, industrial paint stripper and one day and then uh, some friends of mine came visit me speed used to come in the forms of pills benzedrine and uh, some friends brought me some cross tops you know and uh, when you're sitting in a group and you're really not that much of a speed freak uh, but you're spracked out and you're trying to act normal and share your feelings <laughs> it's like this doesn't work right uh, but at that time alcohol was not my problem you were my problem and if I could just get you to leave me alone long enough I'd be all right, you know, um, even though I'm not living the way a 15 year old should be, right? Uh, so I got out of there needless to stand, I didn't stay sober. For the next year and a half, I went to three or four meetings a week and I was loaded all the time. And my life literally turned upside down and backwards. I would go to meetings drunk and I would argue with people who are staying sober about what it takes to be sober, right? Uh, since I've been sober, I've never argued with somebody that's drunk. Uh, there was a meeting in Long Beach called East Bay, and there were some old timers there that used to be that are gone. Uh, they used to be very kind to me. They'd say I could sit in the meeting if I was drunk, as long as I was quiet. But if I disrupted the meeting, I had to go. And uh, and then I'd go to places where everybody was drinking, and I would try to stay sober, which really sucks. Um, I don't know. I don't do dry well. It's physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, it is painful. And I know there are people that work really hard to be dry. I just can't do it. I, I always end up drinking again. Um, I just can't say no to dope, you know, I'll put the plug in the jug and and, uh, and I have alcoholism, right? I, I'm not a heavy drinker, I have a, I'm an alcoholic and there's a difference. And I didn't know that back then. And, uh, you know, there's people that say, I, I, I go and when I see people drinking, I get grateful because I don't have to be like that anymore. And, uh, you know, and I feel sorry for them because of the way they're acting. I don't identify with that. I only see the one that it's working for, you know? I see the person that's drinking and the weight of the world's dropping off their shoulders, you know? They're standing up straighter, that little smile is happening, you know? Um, it's working for them. And that's what I see, like the whole room just gets grayed and then there's the spotlight right there. Because then especially, I would give anything to go back to that, you know, where the magic was still happening and it just wasn't there. And uh, I thought there was something a little bit more special wrong with me because uh, I didn't know why I couldn't just not drink and go to these meetings, just hang out and that I didn't feel better. I would just end up feeling worse, you know? And uh, I met a, a I met somebody was in when I was in that first detox, and we fell in love. Um, you know, there's a saying around here: the odds are good uh, that you might find somebody when you're in a rehab, but the goods are odd. You know, and uh, 
I, uh, I convinced her family that um, they would just give me another chance, a break, like everybody else. I had that same sad story, you know. Uh, I learned my lesson. I want to change. This time it's going to be different, blah, blah, blah. If only somebody would fill in the blank, then I'd, I could get there. And uh, they took me in. And I got, it was out here in Carbon Canyon, actually, and I got a little job at that golf course out there. Um, I had purple hair at the time. I tucked it up into my hat, so I'm not a golfer by any means. Uh, I'd get up every morning, I'd read that little 24-hour day book that they'd give me in the hospital. And there was something inside me that sincerely wanted something different. I didn't know if it was sobriety, but I knew I needed something different. And um, so every morning I'd get up and I'd go across the street. My job was to wash the golf carts and gas them up. That was it, right? And every morning I'd get up and I'd go over there and there was this long hair Hessian guy that was the mechanic and we'd ride around together. And every morning he'd ask me the same question. He goes, hey man, you want to get high? And I'd say, no, you know, I told you yesterday, I'm a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous and I don't appreciate you offering me drugs. And, you know, and I'd give him this whole spiel and like half an hour, I'd say, hey man, you got any weed left? And he'd say, no, I smoked it out. You know, I, I'm done with it. And I'd be pissed, right? Um, because by then I'd wanted something. So now I'm irritable, man. You know, if I'm miserable, the whole world's going to be miserable. And so I, I learned how to play with the governors on those golf carts. Uh, so I'd either really slow them down to where they were like crawling or I'd, I'd speed them up so that these older guys would uh, be, be going and they'd freak out because the cart was going too fast. And they'd hit the brake and that little cart would just spin on the grass or half gas, uh, so they ran out on the back nine, you know, and uh, I was taking people's golf clubs and putting them in other people's bags and, and uh, you know, stealing golf cart parts and throwing them in the lake. Uh, just anything to make you as miserable as I was. And I, and I was going again to about three or four meetings a week and hanging out with people. And after about 90 days, I was coming unglued, unglued, and it was just untreated alcoholism. Right, and I didn't know what it was, and I'd sit around these people, and like they're just, you know, uh, but fear fellowship and high sugar diet won't keep me clean and sober, right? It, it just will not. Fear will not. And I know there's people. There's a guy that I, that has been calling me this last couple of weeks, and he's afraid. Right, he's uh, had three DUIs in the last ten years. He's got two newborns. They're all within about a year of each other, but they're both under like three years old. Um, He's got a wife and uh, they've got domestic violence things going on and he's got a great job and like the whole world is going to crumble if he doesn't stay sober but yet for the last three weeks he's had a valid excuse every day for why he can't get to meet him you know and i understand when you want to want to but you really just can't you know and he knows he needs to do something and that's where i got i knew i needed to do something and and just what it was i didn't know and uh, i got loaded again that's what I do. I get loaded again. Uh, knowing exactly who I am, not, there's no fantasy this time. It's going to be different. You know, uh, there's no like lying. Um, I also know what it's like to pick up a drink and not even think about it. You know, that's what really scared me. It's like two or three drinks later, I realized I just blew my sobriety again and I don't even remember starting. So uh, when they used to say when I was new, they don't have tape decks anymore, right? But they say, put the tape in and play it. Uh, I'm like, what if you don't have a tape deck, right? It's like, I didn't understand how can I play the, the tape and see how it's going to end when I don't even know where to find that. Uh, I'm just drunk. So before I got kicked out and before I get fired, because is what I do, I run, I called up and I said, uh, uh, I'd like to go into another rehab. I called my parents and I said, am I still on your insurance? And they said, yeah. And I said, can I go into rehab? And uh, I went to... Uh, how much time do I have? Uh, <laughs> so I, uh, uh, how long? Get sober, get sober. Yeah. <laughs> ten, okay, 10 minutes. You're good. Yeah, so I, uh, I'm in this uh, rehab and I'm 12 days sober. I weighed 120 pounds. I'm pale white. I'm a creature of the night. I don't come out during the day much. Uh, I was so pale, it was translucent. Uh, my nerves are shot from drinking and using, uh, and uh, so I had this nervous twitch, and my head would go like this all the time, and it felt like somebody was drilling a three-inch hole from the top of my head to the base of my spine. All the bones in my back felt like they were hollow, brittle, like they are going to snap at any moment. My skin's crawling. 
every time I'd lay down, like the acid from my stomach would go up into my throat and my head's like a blender rolling around. And once in a while, like a thought would catch and then I like I blurt out something that nobody understood what I was talking about, you know, and I got this head full of AA and I'm in this place and everybody hates me and I hate them. Uh, and I'm 12 days sober and I'm sitting in the back of this big AA meeting and there's like 300 people and they all look nice, they all smile the same, they all look the same. Um, and uh, there, some people are walking by and they're like giggling, looking at me because I'm back there doing this, you know. And, and, and one guy out of 300 came and stuck his hand out to me and he said, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous, are you new? And uh, I said, yeah. I didn't say no, I've been around. I said, yeah. And then he said, um, why are you here? And, and I remember trying to find the right answer, the one that would get him to shut up and leave me alone the fastest. <laughs> Right? I didn't want to give them the wrong answer, that one where they get that look like, aha, I got you. You gave me the wrong answer, so now you got to listen to a lecture. And, uh, or the, when they tell you you shouldn't think, act, or feel that way. And it never made sense. Like, why do you ask me that you don't want to hear the answer? Plus, I don't really know why. And so all that's kind of going through my head. And the only thing that it kind of landed on was I said, I think I want to stay sober. Now, there's places and people, they would say, well, what do you mean you think? And he said, I get it, you know. And uh, a few years ago, I read Clarence Snyder's book, uh, one of the first members of AA in Cleveland. He's the guy that actually broke away and created the first AA meetings when they broke away from the Ox Group group. It's a great story. You should read it sometime. And he's talking about sitting in the hospital waiting for Dr. Bob to come see him. And he's looking up at a bottle of rubbing alcohol sitting on the, ch on the shelf, and he's trying to figure out how he can what's in the room that he can distill it enough to drink it so he doesn't kill himself, right? And he's obsessed in that bottle rubbing alcohol and how he can get it in his system. And this nurse walks in and has a bunch of pills that she wants to give him, and he asks her what those are, and she tells him, and then he gets angry at her because here I am and I want to be sober, and the first thing you want to do is give me pills, right? And he said, that is alcoholism. That's the alcoholic dilemma. And he said, a dilemma is opposite answers to the same question and they're both valid. If I do it, I'm gonna die, and if I don't do it, I'm gonna die, right? How can I be sitting in a meeting and everything inside me wants to be sober, but everything inside me wants to drink at the exact same time? It's just alcoholism. And so when I told this guy, I think I wanna get sober, he understood that. And he said, well, that's good. He said, because that's all I can do is try to help you. And he said, if you wanna stay sober, he said, watch me, my actions are gonna speak louder than my words, right? He said, uh, I will show you how to stay sober. You know, he didn't say, you're gonna to need to do this and you're gonna to need to do that. He said, we're gonna do this. I am so grateful that when the student's ready, the teacher is gonna appear, right? Um, I, that man is still in my life 38 years later and uh, his actions match his words, right? And it wasn't like from upon high, uh, the first thing he did was he pulled me off that back wall and he showed me my home group and he said, we're gonna get busy. You wanna get busy, if you wanna get better, you gotta get busy. So that was at 12 days sober. I only talked to him a couple of times and at 42 days sober, they kicked me out of that rehab uh, because of my attitude and uh, I wasn't getting along with anybody. My counselor stopped talking to me at day 15 and uh, so I called this guy up and I said, uh, I just got kicked out of rehab. I, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I don't know where I'm gonna live. I, I, you know, I didn't have any answers. And he said, this is great. He goes, we're going to camp out. He said, do you want to go on a camp out? And I said, okay. Uh, I didn't know what a camp out was. Uh, I didn't have any pressing social engagements, right? Uh, my calendar wasn't full. I didn't say, you know, my parents weren't like, hey, you know, cause they'd already been through this experience. We have a fresh, brand new alcoholic, so we're gonna pretend everything's gonna be okay. Let's go to Magic Mountain, right? Like they didn't wanna have like a celebration day. They were like, uh, and I said, let me check with my family. I don't, I, first of all, I didn't even know I was gonna move back in with them, but they were like, whatever you gotta do, just go do it, right? And so I end up in this car with this total stranger. And uh, after a few minutes, I knew that I'd made a mistake. Like, I didn't like the way this guy talked. I didn't like the way he walked. I didn't like the car he drove. I didn't like the cigarettes he was smoking. I like the fact that all he wanted to do was talk about AA, you know, and uh, after like a three or four hour ride, we ended up in the middle of the desert. And like I said, I was pale white and I got sunburned like within minutes. I was cherry tomato, burnt red and pissed, right? And, and uh, 
they had this, I was in the desert with like 70 grown ass men and they had a bonfire meeting that night and uh, um, I couldn't hear anything. Uh, all I could think about was if I stand up and I walk into the fire, I'll ruin their weekend and they'll have to take me home. You know, I'm not thinking about like, I'm going to die. It's like, I just, whatever I can to ruin your weekend because I'm miserable. And um, when the meeting ended, everybody broke up and they're like in little groups and, and I, I'm standing behind this guy and I'm trying to vibe out to him what I'm feeling, which I don't even know what it is, right? And he said, dude, he goes, that is annoying. You hanging over my shoulder like that. And I got pissed. And this guy's my sponsor, right? I never had a sponsor, so I didn't know. I, what I what I heard about sponsorship was like either they were like these tyrants, right? And so people, I need somebody that's a tyrant, right? Or like they were like these super kind, loving people that no matter what you did, they were there to save you. You know, like if I jumped off of the Empire State Building, I hear people talk, and there was my sponsor with the loving hands of a to catch me and gently lower me down and gave me a hug and we cried together and said you really are special and the world doesn't understand you you know and that's like I, that was the extremes of sponsorship that i heard and like i it was like this guy's supposed to know what i'm thinking and feeling right and so i took off into the desert and uh i took a flashlight and a book a big book and a, and a chair and i was out there for like an hour and I was curled up like a roly-poly because I was afraid of the scorpions. And after about an hour, it dawned on me, nobody was missing me. You know, like people weren't screaming, we've lost our newcomer. Like everybody fan out, arm to arm, let's comb the desert, let's go find him. And I, I snuck back into camp and, uh, and I went to sleep to the sound of laughter. And when I woke up in the morning, I woke up to the sound of laughter. And when I woke up, I went to that source of laughter. And that morning, it happened to be this old timer and he was sitting in in a chair and he had a pair of bib overalls on, no t-shirt, and he had an old fedora hat and he was smoking a cigar. And he was talking about, he was an old zoot suitor from East LA. He was a white Russian by birth, but he grew up in East LA, so he ran with the zoot suitors. And he'd go down to the pike and they'd, they'd go into the Oki bars, or they'd go where the Navy was at and they'd get in these fights with them. And he was just telling his story. And as he was telling his story, I was identifying with the feelings, you know? And in that course of that conversation, uh, he put words to feelings that I had um, he answered questions before I asked him and then he saw me sitting there and he looked at me and he said something he said many times he said what's wrong with you and it wasn't like what's wrong with you like why do you have nose rings and why is your hair purple and you know why are you pale you know he was like and I knew what he meant and I said I don't want to be here you know uh, in fact last night I tried to run and I couldn't and uh, I remember him sitting up in that chair and uh, he started to cry you know, and he said, uh, do you know that that's probably the first miracle that you can identify of your recovery? He said, God put you in a place where you couldn't run. He said, your whole life you've been a runner. And he said, every time you hit a wall of fear, you run. And he put you somewhere where you couldn't run. And you had to walk through that wall of fear and experience the good that's on the other side. And he said, it's just Alcoholics Anonymous. And somewhere in that conversation wasn't an old drunken bum talking to a young punk kid. It was just one alcoholic talking to the, the language of the heart, you know? And I believe that's the best we can do in Alcoholics Anonymous, is that language of the heart, you know? Just talking to somebody, remembering. I hope I never forget how powerful it is sometimes, not so much what we say, but how we say it, you know? That there was a time when I walk in and somebody say, I'm glad to see that you're here, welcome, right? They weren't saying that to me anywhere else. And when some old timer would walk up and he'd pat me on the back and he'd say, man, I'm glad, you know, that touch, right? Just that little touch, it was like, we didn't get that during Zoom. We didn't get that during COVID, right? But that thing, I remember walking in one night and uh, I was like 90 days sober and you appreciated my recovery more than I appreciated it. Uh, that day, I felt like a loser. I had accomplished nothing. I'd been rejected all day long trying to find a job. I'm a 10th grade dropout. I've never gone back to school. I had no job skills and everywhere I went, they were just like rejecting me, rejecting me, rejecting me. And that night I came in and I felt low, right? I was like hopeless. Nothing's ever going to change. It's not going to get any better. And I walked in and this guy named Bill was across the room and he like screamed. He said, you little son of a bitch. He goes, when you left last night, I knew that I'd probably never ever see you again and then you'd be loaded by right now. And he goes, and do you know what a miracle it is that you walked in the door? That's, right. That's what I'm talking about. 
you showed me how to enjoy my sobriety before I could. And he ran up and he gave me this big ass hug, trolled me around, and then he put me to work, right? He said, go wash the ashtrays. It was like, that's what we do. You know, the first thing is put a broom in your hand. They get us busy. I remember moaning and groaning to my sponsor about all the things I didn't have one night. And he's like, the whole time I'm talking, he's like looking over my shoulder. And he said, you know, the whole time you've been standing here moaning and groaning about everything that's wrong and that you don't have, there's a new guy that just walked in the door back there. And everything that you're saying that you don't have, you have, and you should be giving it to him. And then he just turned around and he went, Phew. he pushed me. He said, go talk to the newcomer, you know? And I went, I felt better, right? Um, I am an example of somebody that worked all the 12 steps insincerely, right? Uh, I, 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 you don't have to be insincere. You don't have to really believe that it's going to work. You don't have to understand it's going to work. Um, you just got to work them. And that's what these guys did. I, my home group, we worked the steps. We studied the literature. And so it's not a big mystery. It's not like this huge event that's mystical. It's just part and parcel of, of if you want to stay sober, you just got to work the steps. And by the time I was like sober, like 60 days, going down the road with these guys, I basically heard all their fifth steps when they were sharing stuff. So anything that I was afraid of, I'd already heard. You know, plus plus, and uh, when I got to like the, uh, I had a time, I had a hard time understanding some of the simple things like what the one day at a time concept meant, you know, and and uh, how I could say no, you know, and, and I, I remember this I was going on the road with Don and and um, I said so what happens when I want to drink, and I don't know how to say no, and he said well we're going down the road right now in this truck. And we're going 65 miles an hour. And in this truck, there's nothing for you to drink or use. And if the obsession would hit you right now, you would literally have to jump out of the truck because I'm not pulling over. And I have reference points of jumping out of a moving vehicle because the people weren't going where I needed to go, right? So he didn't have to, I, I don't know how he knew, but he knew, right? He goes, and if you wanted to really drink, that would not stop you. But it would pause enough for you to think, do I want to get that road rash? Right? Do I want to crack my melon open because I've had a concussion from jumping out of a vehicle? You know, it's like, do you, how bad do you want to get loaded? And there's that pause between me and that drink, right? And I understood that because I don't have these little T-Rex arms, right? I, I still have this, it's still within arm's reach. And he said, every time you drank and used where you didn't think about it, it was within arm's reach. You have to separate like the, uh, the one year birthday guy said, it was spiritual. You know, I had to separate myself, right, from that. People, places, and things. And uh, I was sober about six months, and this guy walked up to me, and he said, man, because you're selling out to Alcoholics Anonymous. You're, 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 they're brainwashing, you're becoming a clone. I remember looking at this guy. First of all, it was like the glam era, and this guy was a drummer of a band that, that I knew, and he had dyed his hair gray, and he had a gray mink coat on, so it kind of all matched, and he had makeup on. And he's standing there looking at me, um, and he's telling me, man, you sold out. And I remember thinking, well, first of all, Dave, uh, I, don't, I haven't seen you in about three months, and um, and I don't know what you're talking about, right? I was confused, and I went to this old timer. I said, why is this guy giving me crap, you know? Um, and he said, misery loves company, right? It, he's, he's, you didn't have to say anything. He's just saw that you're getting better. And I'm like six months sober and like, what do you mean I'm getting better? And he's like, you're getting better. You don't even realize it, right? That it, and I was at a podium and I was talking about everything that I didn't have again at like six months sober. And this old timer got a hold of me after the meeting. He goes, nobody wants to hear about what you don't have. There's somebody in the room that doesn't have anything and they just want to hear about what you've been doing. They got you six months. And so I started focusing on what I have instead of what I don't have, right? Um, Got a few minutes left. I, uh, thank you. Uh, I'll tell you a story about sponsorship. So I didn't get my driver's license until I was 13 months sober, right? The state of California did not want to give me a driver's license. And I failed my driving test three times. Uh, by that time, I had been fired from a gas station, and my only job was to wash windows and help people pump their gas. And the guy walked up to me uh, and said, I don't think you're cut out for this kind of work. Right. And, <laughs> and and I'm supposed to be smart. Right. And uh, I got fired from Orange Julius. I got fired from Wienerschnitzel. I mean, I was getting fired all the time. And I, I was like, again, I just I didn't have any skills. And uh, I failed my driving test three times. 
but the third time it happened to be the lady's last day. She was retiring and I was her last test. And that time I only failed it by one point. And so she decided to pass me. And, and I, I'd already, I actually already ca crashed a car by then. And I went to my sponsor and I said, look, I got a driver's license. And I looked in the newspaper and there was like all these jobs for drivers. And he said, you don't know how to drive. And I remember thinking like, screw you, right? I mean, the state of California and it's 18 million residents at the time, they believe in me enough to give me this little piece of paper that says, I can drive, right? Who are you to hold me back, right? My sponsor has never, ever, ever been concerned about how you affect me. Whenever I work the steps, he's always been concerned about how I affect you. So when he said that, he was concerned about you, not so much about me, right? And so the next day I went down to San Pedro and I went to interview this job for this warehouse and the guy said, have you been driving for a while? And I do what we do, right? Like, yeah, I've been driving for a while, right? I didn't clarify how long a while was, um, but I've been driving for a while. He said, have you ever driven a van? Yeah, I said, yeah, I've driven a van. I've never driven a van. I only had this little Volkswagen mug, right? So I got this job driving like this huge van with no windows and on day three, I backed up into this Cadillac and I freaked out and I threw it in a drive and I took off, right? And I showed up at the warehouse and my boss said, what's wrong with the rear bumper? And I said, I backed up into a pole. And I, after I got done loading the van, I'm driving out and my boss and the owner are talking. I know they're talking about me. So I'm watching them. So I end up dra dragging the whole right side of the van on the warehouse door on the way out, right? So now things are starting to kind of whirl, right? They're starting to kind of go. And I'm driving down the 10 freeway and I'm trying to read a map book while I'm driving and I'm, I'm behind schedule and like I hit this little lady's car and we pull over on the side of the freeway. Nothing's wrong with her car, but now I got this red streak on the side of my van. And I'm like, my sponsor said I shouldn't have this job and I don't know how to drive and I think maybe he's right. And I just started like babbling all this stuff and the lady's like, she's like, you're insane, dude. She's like, nothing's wrong with my car. You just need to go. Like she wanted me out of her life. And, and I, I pulled in to make a delivery at Chevron and I saw the sign at the gasoline plant, right? And I drive into this gate and the gate I drive into, uh, combustible engines with spark plugs aren't supposed to be in that area. And all of a sudden these guys are like screaming at me and they got these big wrenches and they're like chasing me out of this area. And I backed into a 40 foot flatbed trailer and I blew out all the lights in the rear of the van. So as I was driving to work to resign, right? I, I, uh, I was pissed at my sponsor because he should have stopped me. Right? If he knew better, he should have stopped. I mean, that's just the way I default. It's like nothing's ever, I wouldn't have had to take it if you would have given it to me, right? I mean, that, that was like the, the selfishness and self-centeredness. But what I learned from that was that sometimes there's 18 million people and they're all telling you, you should do it. It's the normal thing to do. And you got that one person in your corner, that sponsor that knows you that says, eh, maybe you shouldn't, right? Um, and there's other times there's 18 million people saying you can't right you can't and they got that one guy that sponsor that says i know you i know where you came from i know what you've gone through i believe that you can do this right and um that's what i believe in sponsorship uh, 38 years later there's nobody in my life that resents the method of my recovery anybody that knew me before i got sober they've nobody's ever said you do too much a you know my mom's crack right the thing that my mom like just loves is when I bring newcomers over to the house, you know? She knows what they do for me, right? And she knows that they probably haven't had a home-cooked meal in a while, right? And like, she'll like whip up a seven-course meal and she'll have it over there feeding them and all this stuff. She just loves that. Uh, my dad had a stroke um, Father's Day 2020 in the middle of the pandemic. Nobody could go see him for like six weeks while he went through rehab and all this kind of stuff. And the day he got out of the hospital, the day he got home, I went over to the house to go see him and it was time for me to go to my meeting. And I said, I gotta go. Uh, my meeting's gonna start a little bit. And he gave me this thumbs up. And as I was walking by him, he grabbed me by the arm and he pulled me down. And this is a guy that took eight years sober before he accepted my amends, right? Before he accepted it inside where I knew there was like a healing. It took that long of walking the walk and not talking it, you know? And he grabbed me and he pulled me down and he said, Hey, hey, good. Like, Keep going. And then he pushed me away. And right now my mom, she's not doing so well. She fell recently. And so she can't take care of my dad. And we put him in a home temporarily. Um, and uh, on Father's Day, a couple weeks ago, I took some guys with me. 
uh, I'm always on, I'm always um, on my best behavior when I have somebody watching me, right? And, and I, I took some guys with me. I'm, I'm grateful that they support me. And I went over there, and, and my dad got to tell him his story, same story he tells everybody else. And the last thing he said again since that stroke that he says to people all the time is he told these two newer guys, he told them, just stay in A, you're going to be okay, you know. Uh, when he was in the hospital, he told this nurse, and I happened over here, and I walked by. All God shots, right? He said to the nurse, he's talking about my brother and my sister and all the accomplishments and all this stuff, and he said, and then there's the middle boy, right? And he said, when he was young, he was lost, and we thought we lost him forever. And then he got sober in A, and he found a purpose, right? And he's still living that purpose. And I'm grateful that you've allowed me to be here tonight and live my purpose. The only reason I got sober was to share with somebody else, to pass this thing on. I live an incredible life. I do not have the time to tell you I, I live an incredible life. I've been all over the world, right? I do some amazing things. But the most important thing I do is I go to Alcoholics Anonymous no matter what. You know, I'm here with you no matter what. I try my best no matter what. I am sick, I am selfish, I am self-centered. And um, it's the root of all my problems, but you've given me an answer, right? That thing that allows me to walk around here and just breathe. I'll tell you a quick story and then I'll shut up. Um, I like stories, right? And sometimes they make a lot more sense. There was a new guy and he was getting sober again. And he was sitting over there at the Triangle Club, right? My, I had a grand sponsor for a long time named John Keith from this area. Uh, I love him a lot. And he was a really special man in my life. And, you know, the, the guy, newcomer went to the morning meeting and he's talking about, uh, I'm trying to get sober and I got to find a job. I don't have any vehicle, but I can only get a bicycle. If somebody would loan me a bicycle, I'd be all right. And it happened to be somebody that means I have a bicycle. I'm going to loan you the bicycle if you promise that you're only going to go look for work and you're not going to go jackassing around. And the newcomer said, I promise. I'm only going to take the bicycle. I'm going to go look for work. Well, the fair happened to be going on at the time when he's riding down the road and he sees a ticket laying there on the ground and it's like, ah, right? So he jumps off the bike, he picks up the ticket and he's running around inside the fair, honking and sniffing, listening to the sounds. And about an hour into it, he realizes, I didn't lock up the bicycle. So as he's running across the fairgrounds, doing that prayer that we do with God, that negotiation prayer, God, please let the bicycle be there. If the bicycle's there, I'll show up early to every meeting, and when they say anybody want to volunteer to clean up, I'm going to raise my hand, and I promise I'll call my sponsor, and all that negotiation prayers that we do when we're in trouble, and he gets out there, and there is the bicycle, right? So he jumps up on the bicycle, and he rides over to the new meeting, and he runs in, and he tells all the old-timers his God story, right? This huge epiphany he had, this revelation, this event that changed his entire life, right? And after the meeting, he walks outside and the bicycle's gone. Oh. Right? The moral of that story is that prayer may get us here, but prayer alone won't keep us here. You know, God's not going to come down and lock up that bicycle. Right? God's not going to come down and pick up that phone and have you call somebody. He's not going to have you go stick out your hand to that newcomer. He's not going to have you cook the hot dogs. He's not going to be here afterwards to clean that grill and put everything away. Right? We got to do what we can do, and then he fills in all the rest. God bless and thank you. All right. Thank you. I'm less alcoholic. Yeah. Yeah. Let's give Ruben and Chris a hand for it.